0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and you are in for a treat today. If you desire to be a successful uh, private investor, self-directed, get free of the rat race and uh, build your net worth on your own, then you'll enjoy today's episode a lot. Uh, My guest today is Mark Zaret. He may not be well known, but he's quite successful, and that's why I brought him on the show. He was an independent musician and then found his way into Canadian small caps and built up a net worth via Canadian small caps. Mostly mining stocks was the, the bulk of that net worth gain, and so he's been doing this for several decades. And or a few decades, I should say, and he's on the show today to share his story as well as share his processes of how he screens and chooses junior mining stocks. So Mark, welcome onto the program for the first time.
1: Thanks, Bill. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here.
0: And I know your story will be an inspiration and very educational to my listeners. So thank you for joining me. Let's start with your background. I mentioned that you got into Canadian uh, mining stocks and small cap stocks, but it didn't start there. It started as a musician, didn't it?
1: Well, that was my first uh, career. Uh, um, I, I At quite an early age, um, dinner time conversation did include stocks. So my dad was a businessman and he would come home from work. And, and some of the dinner time conversation would be about um, various little episodes of investing in penny stocks and so on. So I, I was hearing about it and getting a little flavor of, of the scene as a very young young person. Um so that sort of planted a seed, if, if you like, and that and that seed more or less lay relatively dormant until I was um a fair bit older, had a family, and um had recently purchased a home, and I was surviving on uh, a marginal income, let's say. Uh and as much as I enjoyed my career, um I needed a second form of income, uh, without doubt. And um I was always a self-employed type. I I, I didn't. I wasn't going to be a 9 to fiver I didn't really think that was what I was going to, you know, the kind of life I, I wanted to have. So um, I walked into the bank one day, and um, at the, you know, four or five years had passed since I'd managed to to purchase a very modest little house, um, but you know, given real estate prices at the time, it more than tripled in value. So that offered this opportunity of. Um, somehow finding a way to capitalize on, on this, uh, this, this equity that I really didn't have too much to do with. Uh, it was just market conditions. And so um, I was somewhat surprised, but, but um, I walked into the bank and said, well, I'd, I'd like to take out a line of credit. And they said, why? And I said, well, I, I, for investment purposes. And they said, OK. And um, I walked, uh, walked out of there with a, a, a relatively large line of credit in my thinking at the time. And so I determined that what I was going to do was revisit those periods of dabbling in the market and what I heard and learned as a, as a younger person and uh, and try and do it in some sort of systematic way that I could um, make it work, clearly. And and uh, you know, so right from day one, I said to myself, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have a pretty needy mortgage that I'm going to have to work off over many years. And if it does work, well, then I, you know, stand to offer my my family a, a kind of at least a middle-class lifestyle that that I was hoping to be able to do. So that was, you know, right from day one. Um, could I have lost it all? I, I suppose I could have. I would have been pretty miserable and unhappy, and it would have, you know, would have caused some, some concerns. Um, but it wouldn't have been a death blow, if you know what I mean. It would have just been carrying around a, a larger mortgage um, debit. It, and so, um, so I set about trying to figure out how I could possibly do this and 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 make it work. And I very, very early, um, so one thing one thing I did from a very early point is I subscribed to to a, a stockwatch service that i I managed to find that um, Stockwatch used to publish a book style hardcover or hard copy that they would mail once a week. Um, and in that, in that book was every single press release that came out on the venture, or at the time it was called the Vancouver Stock Exchange. And
0: this is mid '90s we're talking.
1: Yeah, early '90s. Early '90s. Ninety, ninety-one. Uh, this this thing came in the mail every week, and um, and I read it cover to cover. So I literally pretty much read every press release um, week after week after week. And um, even more valuable than that was that there was an there was an editorial at the beginning. So that would have been six, seven, eight pages of uh, information about what was going on on the exchange, what the, who the, big, mo- what the big movers were at the time, um, who was behind them, and, and so on. What I really liked about the hardcover, uh, is hard copy, was that each stock had um, a list of the directors underneath it, the price, the issued shares. So it was a fantastic picture. Of what that company was all about, right there. You know, you didn't have to go searching. And so after continually reading this and reading this and reading this, names started to sort of populate in my brain. Like these names kept coming up. Over a period of
0: months or years, Mark?
1: Well, you know, actually years, more like years, but you know, let's call it a couple of years. Things things started to really become very clear to me. Um, you know, that there was a certain population that was really um, creating a lot of the movement, a lot of the wealth, if you like, a lot of the uh, attention on the exchange. Um, and But I think my most valuable um, takeaway from this process, Bill, was that um, I saw that back in those days, there were no CPCs. CPCs are, I'm sure you and your, your listeners are well aware, they're, they're manufactured shells, right? That have come. They're the they're the mini SPACs in Canada, if you like. They're the tiny versions where companies will raise anywhere from maybe two hundred to two million kind of range, two hundred thousand to two million dollars range, and uh, look for projects. Uh, There weren't those didn't exist. So what what existed primarily at that time was that companies were getting new lives, new a, a new shot by being rolled back, cleaned up, and reinvigorated, often with new management. New projects, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and so I found that most of the big movers that I kept noticing over and over and over were these were these reorganized companies. And so I set about a very um, stringent uh, process where I would literally, so I would mark pages, and at the end of the my reading of this whole thing, I would I pulled out a notebook and I kept track of every single um, reorganized company. So. The standard in the day pretty much was, was there, were, there was nothing like today. There, there were many less sh- uh, shares issued for many of these companies. So you would have a lot of companies that were listed post-rollback, post-reorganization that would have 1 to 2 million shares out, and that was it. And so that became the population that I was really most interested in because I thought, well, you know, these were, these were in essence, they were dead companies. They're being reorganized. Somebody's paying the listing fee. Somebody's taking care of the filing. Somebody is, is going to this effort. Why are they going to this effort? Well, they're going to the effort because they're going to revitalize these companies. And so I set about accumulating very quietly off my list that I created, bits and pieces of these shells, you know, uh, over weeks, months, and in some cases years, uh, because it's a slow process. So it it took a, a tre- tremendous amount of patience. To, to uh, go about this task.
0: And Mark, could you share a little bit about how you use that home equity line of credit? So you you didn't you didn't have a lot of money. You started with you had to borrow from the bank. So how did you manage the risk of the fact that you were playing with borrowed money?
1: Um, I tried to be as careful and cautious and thoughtful and utilizing some you know some basic senses uh, sense of of. Uh, how to deploy capital in a, in a in a proper way and i really knew nothing but i just was a fiend for reading um listening you know learned wherever i could and and i think one of the primary sources back then was john kaiser who i, I believe you've interviewed and, and well john back in those days he had a bottom fishing list 100 bottom fish and so he was doing the same as i realized after a this short period of time, uh, John was doing a lot of this similar work on a clearly much professional, more professional level. He was a broker at a, you know, at a brokerage firm out West in Canada. And, uh, and, um, you know, his work was scrutinized and so and so on. But, um, but, but I learned a lot from, from John and from the work that he was doing. And, um, I suppose one of the things I, I learned was, you know, don't, throw your eggs in one basket, you know, the old common saying. Uh, some of these old sayings come about for good reason. And so to answer your question, I diversified, you know, quite, you know, uh, like, mindfully, like, I, I made sure that I didn't, you know, buy any any one uh, stock to, to, to a great degree. And so, you know, I guess it was the early um, formulation in my mind of how to properly allocate capital. And, and I would just generally say that from that point of view nothing much has changed. I think 5% of your capital is a big position. 2% is probably about right. Um, and, and 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 yes you'll break that rule now and then and you'll have a high conviction name let's call it and go a little bigger. But so that's that's how I try to assure that I would be successful. So I was dealing with very risky um a very very risky playing field as we all know i mean this is this is verging on insanity i mean why would anybody you know um swim in in, in a shark infested water um and 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 i knew that it was not going to work you know unless i uh determined you know what would result you know in a successful outcome and so another part of that was again by using this you know uh, this weekly, and and deciding I was going to focus in on these one two million share shells. Um, I knew that, like over time, they would you know they would be they they would be brought back into uh, some sort of some sort of activity. But you know we were talking about market caps of two hundred thousand dollars three hundred thousand dollars. That was so they were basically trading for what uh, you know if you wanted to start a, sh- a new company today. You went and hired a lawyer and an accountant, and a, that was, in essence, the market cap of these things. So, you know, they don't all work, and they didn't all work. But in a way, you sort of said to yourself, "It's going to be a little difficult to lose money here." And you know,
0: how so? How quickly did success come to you? You're you're not ostentatious in any way. You're very modest, but you've been very successful. Can you talk about how quickly success came to you and via what shell? Wow.
1: Well, um, well, that um, I, I would have to say that even in those days, I, I didn't have a losing year, um, but it did take probably three or four years before it started to become in any way meaningful. So that was almost like an incubation period, where you know you're you're collecting these crazy shares in these crazy little companies. Um, it would seem like a very difficult, well, it would be a very difficult thing to explain to anyone. This was not dinner, you know, this was not dinner conversation, you know. Uh, it just, it's it was a an unusual activity, let, let's put it that way. Um, and, and I was quite aware of that, you know, but. but. Do
0: you I'm think saying, you confused a bull market with brains, like Rick Rule said, or were you able to keep your ego in check? Because if you had those initial years of success, you know, you, you didn't get pummeled yet to kind of humble yourself. How, how did you manage that?
1: I think largely by sticking to the same general methodology. So you know, when, when, when conditions would change and market caps would rise and there was a lot of excitement in the market, I would not get drawn into it. I just refused to really get drawn into it.
0: Is that your personality, or how did you develop that trait? It's
1: personality, It's contra- contrary thinking, it's determination in, in sticking with um, Something that I felt very strongly was going to work, and so I I looked at it like I'm not going to be the guy that's that's going to go out and pay massive premiums to get involved in in these little public companies. So again, I would look for cash-rich shells, in particular, especially in times where the market was a bust. So you know, sometimes literally companies would trade for less than their bank account. And so, once again, I would say to myself, you know, how do how do you lose money here? Well, I found out there were ways. Occasionally, things just don't work out, no matter how much work you do. Um, But the greater percentage do work. So when
0: you take, so your strategy is here that you're articulating is get in early, right?
1: And absolutely get in early. You know, occasionally now I'll get a phone call from a company, and 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 they'll say that, um, well, it is early market; it's only fifty million market cap, and 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 we only have a hundred million shares out, and and I, I'm polite, et cetera. But I I get off the phone and well, that's not early. That's just not early. So sticking to my guns, sticking to early stage, um, not overpaying for things, being around when nobody think, wants things really is what it really boils down to. I want to buy things when nobody cares.
0: And Mark, when you so we're mid mid nineties now, and you're starting to taste success uh the information sources this is kind of like when the internet is starting to come up so perhaps there's more sources of information that you're consuming at this point mid-90s
1: would that be right i think it was a little bit later than that perhaps just a little bit later i'm, I'm I, I you might be right but mid, mid to late 90s now we're i don't know i no longer have to go to the library to dig up uh microfilm and uh old old versions of the northern Miner to find uh find out information. And sure. That
0: was part of your due diligence then, going to the library and looking Literally. at microfiche, which many listeners may not even know what that
1: is. <laughs> Literally, that's what I used to do. So you're, you're an of... in the library.
0: What about uh intel that comes person to person? Were you developing your network during this period of time too?
1: Um so when the when when Windows came along, um and I was a PC guy, Windows came along and um The earliest form of sharing and and, uh, exchange was called news groups. I don't think they're around any longer, but they were one of the early forums on the internet. And so I I recall joining a news group, and um, it was called Stockman. And and I became active in reading and occasionally posting. And so that was my very first um, straying into the sort of becoming involved with people um, and building relationships. And I actually still remember that um, I was sort of taking a bit of a higher profile, I suppose, through this group. Um, and so I became part of a, a, more, active, a more active few of us. And um, so somebody found me one day who ran a company and it was the same kind of conversation I was just referring to. They basically phoned me up and said, well, any chance that you might pitch this story on this news group? And he told me the detail and i basically said well you know you've got a lot of capital you've issued a lot of shares already you're you're sort of hand to mouth in terms of finances um you've got a very small deposit in manitoba which didn't excite me i'd already kind of learned enough about those things that uh, that was going to be a tough sell and so i i i said no in as polite a way as i could and and actually what i found is that gentleman actually i had gained his uh trust or admiration, or I'm not sure what the right word is, like he 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 actually respected me for for saying no. And which always told me that, you know, he he on some level he knew, right? That that and and actually we're we're friendly till this day. So that was one of my first uh building a network experiences. And um and then it, it really does go from there. So
0: and then don't how how did you utilize a network or how did you develop your discernment of who you should partner with for an investment and who you should avoid? Can you talk about the process of learning?
1: Um, well, I think it, it all goes back to that early work, right? So you tried to associate yourself as best you could with people who were successful in the industry. and um, what i've I've said jokingly a few times in the past is I like you know, I like to find the the wealthiest people, the most successful people, and then find their absolutely earliest stage deals, their earliest stage efforts and see if I can get myself involved in them. And so, um, so you show up at things like PDAC and you shake some, some um, you know, but you're selective in, in where you decide you're going to go and have a conversation. And you've already predetermined, you know, these people don't know you, but you, you feel like you know them because you know their history. You know what they've achieved. You know that they're the right kind of people. And so uh, I would go to meetings, I would go to PDAC, and I was also never shy to pick up the phone and, and phone people. And, um, and so again, using a sort of selective starting point.
0: Mark, there's a lot of listeners that are listening to us right now and they, they are starting with nothing where you were and they're not accredited investors. Were you an accredited investor or when did you become an accredited investor? I guess, can you succeed with this method if you're not an accredited investor?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I don't see why not. Things have changed. There's no question that they've changed, but it's still possible. They, they haven't changed that much. And so um, if you'd like, I can try and address why I believe that that's the case. Yes, please. Okay. So there's, there's such great resources now that you can literally not have to leave your house, not pick up the phone, not have much money, And do tremendous research and hone in on some very, very good ideas. Um, Starting off with, I would say, for example, um, stockwatch.com. Now, I'm not here to sell Stockwatch. I'm a subscriber. But I would have to say that that is the most terrific resource that an investor could hope to have. So getting back to your point, um, if you have no money, you shouldn't be in this game, period. Like, this is, this is not for the no money people. You should have some capital that you're willing to risk. And you should be willing to lose it, frankly. And so we have to start with the starting point of saying, you have a small amount of capital, let's say. let's If you want to put a number to it, uh, point being, spending, uh, let's call it $100 a month or thereabouts, shouldn't be a backbreaker. So for that level, you can get a pretty high-level subscription at StockWatch. And what does that give you? Well, it gives you the ability to follow companies to get their press releases. But much more importantly, um, there's, they have excellent databases. So for example, you can click on something called participants. You can go in there, and you can pull out some guy that you know has been very successful. Let's call him, let's call him Lucas Lundin. And you type Lucas Lundeen into their little participant search engine, and you will get every single company that he's ever been involved in and is currently involved in. And so, what great starting point that is! That hasn't changed since the early days of me doing this. Only now it's simpler and easier and cheaper.
0: And so, so today, that's how you find investments. Then, using Stockwalk? I still
1: use these. I still use these same since that service started, which was sometime in the late nineties. I still use many of the same products um, to help me in finding these opportunities. So I'll look under participants, right? Second, or even more, and maybe even more importantly, there's a gold summary that comes out. I think it might be every day or every few days. There's a gold summary. There's a shell summary. There's an energy summary. Um, They they do sort of terrific um, in-house research and, and they're all written you know, very accessibly with a little bit of tongue in cheek and so on. And and no nobody's trying to sell you anything. It's just information in a very consumable fashion. And so Stockwatch, I would say, would be a number one stop for, for someone who's just getting started.
0: Okay. So you use that to screen initially. And then if it passes through that filter, what's your next step of due diligence?
1: Um, another thing that I do very early on, another subscription. I'm gonna mention another company. Um uh, I'm not affiliated. I'm just a very nor am I. <laughs> and I will tell you that it's it's what is it? It's 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 not a thousand dollars a year. It's under. It's uh, somewhere in the perhaps five or six hundred dollars a year range. Um, Research, Ink Research, I N K. Research, another fantastic tool. So now you've perhaps you've picked a, a stock you like. And you can go into there and you can create a basket. And so you will be delivered into your email anytime an insider buys or sells stock, that's one thing they offer. I couldn't own a stock without having that service. Um, there's many ways of getting that information, but that's the easiest. You will get a, an, an email delivered to your inbox in the morning that will tell you you know, that so-and-so bought or sold shares the day before. So um, as a rule of thumb, when I invest in a company, the, ne- the next thing I'll do is I'll go to go to my account and I'll add it in. And so now I'm watching what the insiders are doing. I've learned about the insiders from StockWatch, let's say. I, I'm now at Inc Research. I'm watching what they're doing. I, I don't want to, you know. You, you see a stock go down. Um, the first question you're going to ask is, "Well, why aren't the insiders buying?" Well, I'll have the answer. Maybe they are. Like, let's let's see what they're up to. If they're not, that's information, right? It's valuable information. You want to know an, an You want an answer to that because you want to be very aligned with them.
0: And if you invest and look for early stage opportunities, are these all exploration plays or what type of mining companies have you invested in?
1: Um, well, you know, sometimes they're literally nothing but a shell, but you know, they're going to be directed to a mining project. Um, sometimes they're reorganized, uh, as I was saying, or um, I think one of the things you learn very early when you do this, or, and, and I believe you should, is where is this company in the life cycle of a junior company? And it's quite clear to me that there's a an early stage and a, a middle stage and a late stage. And so I I've, I've been one to sort of concentrate on the early stage. So sometimes um, a company's been around for a while, but you could still define it that way if it's more or less inactive and has a treasury. I would still call that. So I'd be looking sometimes for let's say shells with the right people involved, or you know. Well, for lack of a better word, a busted company, but it still had good structure. In other words, there weren't a lot of shares issued. It had good structure. It had good people. Uh, it may have been lacking in the project area. Sometimes it had a great project, but it was so out of favor that the market was attributing zero value to it or near zero value to it. And, and We saw a lot of that, by the way, in 2016. I would still say these opportunities are, are, are out there and they're, they're available.
0: Is it as easy to bottom fish today as it was in the early
1: and mid-90s? Well, that's a good question from the point of view of what I described earlier. You can't do exactly what I did earlier because now we have the CPC world. Um, And so many more shells. There are still shells that or companies that will get rolled back and sort of take on a new life and so on. Um, Yes, those are still out there, but not in the quantity that they once were because of the manufacturing process that's been developed, which we know is the CPC. But how can you take the work I used to do earlier and do it today? I would say you could do that same kind of work on CPCs. So there's perhaps two or call it 300. I may be off off here, but there's several hundred CPCs out there. They trade, they're on the market. Um, They are, in many instances, the modern version of what I did. So if I was starting out today, what would I do? I would have a spreadsheet. I would list all those CPCs uh, the next column would be how many shares are issued who's involved in these CPCs what kind of talent are we are we looking at here what's the market cap and I'd be I'd have a screen of them and I'd be waiting for the opportunity for them to trade around the level that meant that you were basically just buying the cash in the treasury
0: and so when you do that today are you buying in the open market then, your position? You're just nibbling away at your, to develop a position, or are you doing that through a private placement?
1: Um, I, I'll buy in the market. Um, as I said, don't, I, would, I would also suggest don't, don't be afraid of picking up the phone. So sometimes you can get yourself involved with brokers. There are several brokers that do a lot of CPCs. You can get your name on the list. Um, you can you know, do that as a starter type position. Uh, and then you can go and buy in the market. And sometimes there's distressed sellers in the market, so you can actually pick up a meaningful position.
0: What, so what it's, is it's your a combination? A combo, okay. What's your biggest mistake in in this method of speculation? And can you name a name and give us the aut- autopsy, please?
1: Well, there's a lot to pick from, Bill, because you know you make a lot of mistakes. I I kind of think of it a little bit like I like the baseball analogy. You can be the star of the game and and known as a great hitter. But you strike out two out of three times. So I I tend to look at it very much you know that way. And um, anyway, to not stray too far from what you're asking, um, let me think. Um, there are some pretty brutal situations that can occur. Um, I can think back of one. Um, I'm a little hesitant to mention too many names here, and I don't want to offend any particular uh, groups or people. But um, I. I did have a fairly meaningful position one time in a, in a company called Angus Mining, um, which I had done all my homework on. It was actually very well run uh, in terms of people and their and their um, uh, qualifications for you know making this work. Um, uh, but you know it ran into a really bad market. The first project just didn't work. Um, there was no appetite for a reorganization, and it it basically uh, was delisted. So in a case like that, you you can uh, actually lose all your money, every penny.
0: Were there warning signs you missed, or does it just is it par for the course? You, you get No, some... it,
1: it was there was really not much that could be done about it because um, it happened over a period of really a couple of years, and this sort of fifteen cent price was a dime, and then it was eight, and then it was five, and there was no volume, and you're kind of sitting there going, well, there's not that many shares out, and these guys are capable, and um, but they just didn't. Uh, Push the button on uh, on uh, on getting it revived, and 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 I know some of the backstory there, and I think this was also a time where they were you know they were having much bigger problems. They had you know large um, undertakings that were 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 really struggling, um, and and so the the particular group just didn't uh, they weren't able to revive that that situation.
0: What about some of your winners, and how did you execute your exit strategy?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll go, back to, I'll go back to the early days. Um, there was um, a small group out of Vancouver that, that had at least five or six shells. And they were putting out these little press releases, basically saying that we're looking for an acquisition, whether it be mining or, or elsewhere. And so I thought, well, this is exactly what I'm doing. I need to own them. And I need to own all of them. And so I bought shares as I could in the market. And there was one particular little company um, which will certainly put a little smile on your face, but it was called Thumper, Thumper Resources. Um, and the rabbit as a logo or? <laughs> there, there were literally 1.8 million shares out. I still remember that. Oh, wow. And so I'm picking up, yeah. So what are we talking here? We're talking like if you're buying shares for six to eight cents, you're paying, again, you're paying $200,000 to be an investor. You're paying the cost of the listing. Um, and so I knew they were looking for an acquisition. That was no secret. They were actually telling you that in a press release. And and so I'm accumulating these shares, and at the same time I'm you know I, I call up management periodically, so I'm on the phone with them. And uh, one day that one day the stock gets halted, and um, they're doing an acquisition, and I was absolutely shocked. that they were doing a one for three rollback, and I thought you have 1.8 million shares, and you're you're rolling back, you know one for three. So I'm going to end up with. So you know, if I had hundred thousand shares, I'm now I'm only going to have you know thirty three thousand. What what's up with that? You have the smallest number of shares out that I could find anywhere listed. And the gentleman on the phone just said, "Well, don't worry. I think you're going to be very happy." So you know, that stock went on to become Arequipa. I've never known how to quite pronounce that, but Arequipa Resources with a Peru project and some real heavyweights on the board, including uh, Catherine McLeod, who came from a a very um, McLeod family is quite well known in, in the market. I'm sure you've run across them. Um, Sabina, for example, is run by, by Bruce McLeod, who's, who's her brother. Um, so I was very happy. This thing, um, at, at the end of the day, it was sold to Barrett, by the way, for $31 a share. So um, now, did I last that long? No, I didn't. I think. And you're asking me, you know, how do you plan your exit? Well, you know, that's the really tricky part. Buying stock is actually quite easy. Selling it is the hard part. And I've heard way too many stories of people waiting way too long. And, and, I've, and I've been a victim of that myself. And so um, I guess at that point, um, I just knew by around $3 a share that I had had a nice run. And that was fine. And, uh, and I sold it and I moved on.
0: And what was yeah. your gain? What was your when you did all the math? What percentage gain did you get on your capital invest, invested?
1: Well, it was it was over 10 times. You
0: in know, a period of how many years or months?
1: I guess that probably would have been over a three to four year period. Yeah. Yeah. Ten bagger in three to four years. So again, if you if you you know, you have, I, I like to just annualize and say, well, okay, if this takes another year, if it takes another two years. So again, you need patience. This, this is a game that requires a lot of due diligence and a lot of patience.
0: So if you're talking to a Bitcoin millionaire, or I see these younger people online that are trading on these apps that don't charge them anything to buy and sell call options, and they're making a killing, and they started with $1,000, now they're up to $250,000, what advice would you give somebody that's experiencing quick success via whether it's cryptos or call options?
1: You know, it it seems to me that quick money comes and goes. Um, So there will be cases of, of some of those people who will be smart. Um, But on the whole, I think it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. You know, you lose money. You learn, you make money. You don't learn. I really don't think you learn much when you, when you're correct, You, you learn something when you're wrong. And, um, Look, I, I mean, I don't wish them any—you know—I hope they're all, you know, very successful. But, but I would be concerned. You know, I would think that there might be a day of reckoning, and I don't know what would bring it on. And, and I'm not one to say that cryptos aren't are, are worthless. I'm not in that camp. I actually do think that there's a lot of validity and there's a future, and and we're actually going in that direction clearly. I think crypto and, and blockchain are very important, um, but they They'll get overheated in the same way that penny stocks will, and so if you're buying at the top, uh, you're in trouble and you don't know until it's too late and and my per, my my problem with it is that uh, it's very hard to value these things so uh, some of the you know some of the larger um, coins, for example, have very good projects and and could very well be you know around for decades and become you know part of the uh, part of the system in a in a bigger way than we could even imagine right now. But but a lot of the other coins will will disappear. And there will be fortunes made and fortunes lost. You know, so
0: and, and Mark, you you've made a fortune, although you're not ostentatious about it, like I said, but you actually do this because you enjoy it, right? It's just the love of the game, so to speak, is why you do what you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I really enjoy it.
0: I mean and Is it the process or the freedom that it's given you?
1: or both. I think the freedom is really important. And and I think if if you enjoy the process, well then then you're you're quite fortunate, you know. And please, you know, understand there's stressful times. There is very stressful times, you know, when when you know, living through th- something like 2008 was a very was a stressful time. Living through March of 2020 was a stressful time. Um, you know, these are difficult times. Um, but again, if you're, I mean, how do you, here, here's my question. How can you define yourself as a value investor when you're playing in such a dangerous area? Somehow or other, I do see myself as a value investor.
0: Not a speculator? You don't think what you're doing is speculation?
1: Well, I mean, it is, it, it is speculating, but I mean, I'll just give you another example. In 2008, um, I was aware of a company that had a had dollar a share in cash and no debt. Trading at forty cents, trading at fifty cents, so yeah, what do you call that? Is that speculating uh, I'm curious what what others would say. Um, yes, I suppose in some ways it's speculating, but in other ways i'm buying fifty I'm buying a dollar for fifty cents, and I know he's running the company well and that's know, the key,
0: right because I've been told a dollar per share cash in the bank in the hands of the wrong people is worth zero
1: well, you're absolutely correct, and in this case um, One of the large shareholders was Seymour Schulich. Um, Another one was Frank Mersh. You know, these are well-known names. They weren't going to be in a company that was going to um, put that through the back door. So uh, I'm using, uh, and obviously I'm using a very successful, you know, example. But again, that example existed. It was there. It was there to be had. You had to have the courage at a time when markets were, you know, imploding to say to yourself, I'm going to buy this. Dollar for fifty cents, in spite of what's going on in the world, um, because I know one day that will change.
0: As you built up your net worth over a couple of decades, was it just the compounding nature of five and ten backers, or did you have any one hundred to two hundred backers in there also?
1: Um, there were a couple of outstanding uh, wins, um, and and there's one that's sort of still ongoing, if you like, um, where. Um, it's been a, a, a many multi, I don't even know what the number would be. Um, and I'm still involved in the stock and, and and I'm okay to talk about it, I suppose, briefly. Um, but I was, um, so 2010, 11, 12, actually be more specific, 2012 to the beginning of 16 was one of the worst bear markets in, in the history of junior markets. And so that was at a time when, you know, every time you picked up The news: There was another fund that was basically saying we're we're selling all our mining stocks and we'll never put another penny in. And uh, they would change directions. You know, new new funds were starting up, and they would have a policy: we don't invest in mining. Oh, that's you know, because most investors would take that as great news because um, you know the gold price lingered and drifted for that period of four or five years, and and it was just a hated, hated, hated sector. It all changed in January of twenty sixteen and we had a really nice period there for a while um but the point being is that if you had capital during that period, and again going back to the very beginning and you were asking you know how do you apply it today well, that period from uh twenty twelve to sixteen you could go and buy again you could buy uh mining companies that had uh ten cents a share in cash that were trading at eight cents a share or twelve or A a modest premium, you know, to what to what their liquidation value might have been, and so um, at that time I was collecting shares um, in a little company called Orion Resources. Uh, When I first was buying it, I believe they had about ten cents a share in cash. They had about four million in cash, Um, but nobody cared. Nobody wanted to know about it. Um, Nonetheless, uh, Rick Rule was a shareholder. There were some quite well-known guys that were involved, and there was a very good geologist involved. And so that was one of those crazy little stocks that I just, um, you know, just kept accumulating. And fast forward to 2016, or it might have been 17, um, that the shares had actually bottomed at three and a half cents, hit 350. Um, So so that comes to mind as a as a large win, and a, a many a many bagger, a multi. And so I still you know, clearly I took some money off the table, a fairly substantial amount, but to this day, I'm still a shareholder and, um, still have a very meaningful position. And in fact, recently bought more.
0: And Um, because of your success too, you've had after a couple decades, then funds began to reach out to you for strategic advice, didn't they?
1: Um, well, yeah. I mean, in 2011, I, I was starting to, um, have have various friends and associates ask me if i would get involved with them and um and find and find a way to help them with you know with this uh this business of 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 making money in the market and uh, my answer was basically well no i really i can't do that but um in looking around i w- i was fortunate in finding a company here in toronto that was sort of looking for somebody like me and and we ended up teaming up and so for the record I- i'll just say i'm not a registered portfolio manager um but I work with one um, in a fund that I'm the analyst advisor for uh, so the trades are are um, uh, are made alongside a portfolio manager that has the final say and approval or not on on what we do um but so as of January of two thousand and twelve um, i've been I've been involved in in this fund and it's been um, uh, attempting to pursue exactly the same, uh, strategy that I've always used. And so, you know, they had to look at my track record. They didn't uh, have anybody in the space and we, you know, mutually decided it was a good fit.
0: And how do you like that compared to just managing your money, your own money for the first two decades? Is there added stress or anxiety involved in that?
1: hundred percent. I feel way worse. Uh, you know, when things aren't going well, you know, with other people's money, um, so I I uh I am the largest investor in, in the fund and I treat it like my own. And and I really um, you know, some some funds I think I would say some funds make it, you know, it's 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 hard. It's it's easy to get invested in them and, and hard to leave. And I, I like to try and look at it the other way around. But I really try and make sure that there's a good fit. So that again, uh, you know, let's say you're a sophisticated investor and you've got a million dollars to invest, I would not want to see you put more than fifty thousand dollars. Um so you know I've now I'm a registered uh, EMD exempt market um, person, uh, and part of the reason I did that is that I could actually you know legitimately speak to people about their about their investments and 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 so that's the kind of advice I would say don't don't put more than five percent of your net worth in this in spite of the success i mean it's just not you know it's just not the right thing to do
0: even though that's not what you did when you started out right <laughs> just cuz most people aren't willing to do what you did and aren't wired like you're wired is that why you would say that
1: i would say that yeah i mean I do not do what i what i did and I, if that's a hypocritical statement you know you have to know yourself and and you have to and and you have to um, be ready for the worst case scenario which i was and i legitimately was But, you know, there are people and I've experienced it now. I've seen a 10 and a 20 percent drawdown and I've handled some of those phone calls. And it's clear to me that in retrospect, you know, there are investors who just simply are not programmed to manage in in those situations. And so, you know, as I say, there has to be a good fit and um, you have to be ready for the roller coaster. But. If things work, then you know you get higher highs and higher lows. And you can't hope for better than that. You can't short circuit the process of you know going through the ups and downs of what a junior market will feed you. There's, it, in, in spite of all the due diligence that you can do, it's not a, it's not something you can avoid.
0: That's exactly right. And I've experienced that in my own portfolio. You're up tenfold. And then there's a 60% drop in the next six months and you're pulling out your hair. So it, it it just comes with the course. So you said most people shouldn't do what you did, but there's going to be a lot of listeners that just listen to this hour conversation that want to do what you did. Is there a way they can follow you? I know you keep a very low profile, but is there anything you'd like to share about how people can find out more about you?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really much of a poster anywhere. Um, the only thing I could I could suggest is if they want to uh, go to SpartanFunds.ca and look up the Teraz Fund, um, they can subscribe to a little monthly one pager, and at the bottom of it is is a little prof- a little uh, commentary that I'm involved in writing, and um, I've been sharing bits and pieces of a process uh, since 2012 on a monthly basis. So I like to I like to think that. Something in the way of what, you know the the sauce that's involved in this is 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 spoken about and why it works. And so you know, if people want to want to subscribe to that, there's absolutely it's free. There's no just it's just no commitment free. needed. <laughs> no, no, yeah. there's nothing at all. nothing at all,
0: well, Mark, this has been a great hour. Thank you for sharing your story. you You humbly shared your story. Others would have shared their success if they had your success in a much much more ostentatious way. so, I just appreciate you coming on the show to inspire and educate my audience. And uh, again, just thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Well, thanks, Bill. An hour can go by very quickly, uh, but I also want to thank you for the great work that you do. Your, your interviews are top notch. So I, I hope this uh, I hope this has some value to some investors. Absolutely, and thank you.